Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Okay, so we chose the word fight intentionally uh, because families are not amazing on accident. On accident, families are average. On accident, families are full of uh, dysfunction and trouble. And you've got to, it's an active word that you've got to fight. You've got to fight because the family is under attack. And this is nothing new. Uh, Families have been under attack ever since the first family, Adam and Eve and their kids, under attack from the enemy, attack from within, the world, the flesh, and the devil, wants to destroy the idea of family, wants us breaking the covenants in our life. But we see throughout history where families are strong, society is strong. Where families are weak, society is weak. And in our society today, we have many forces working against our families. Let's make this more specific. There are forces working against your family, your spouse, your kids. We have economic forces, spiritual forces, moral forces, cultural forces that want to uh, destroy the idea of family. But good news is that you're not the only one fighting for your family. God is fighting for your family. And God has ordained the family as the foundational institution of human society. Uh, The the people related to one another by blood, by marriage, by adoption, that they are the foundation of human society. And again, where you have strong families, you have a strong society. This is another reason why all human life is sacred. Because we are created by God in his image. All human life is sacred. Children, from the moment of conception, are a gift from the Lord. And that same worth and dignity attaches to each human being, from preborn babies to the aged, to the physically and mentally challenged, every other condition, from conception through natural death, we are commanded by God to defend, protect, value, to fight for all human life, the entire family. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about uh, taking care of our kids, taking care of our our parents, and just all different uh, ages and spectrums of the family. And we're going to address some of the forces that are working against our families. Now, I am not going to spend a whole lot of time detailing everything that is working against your family uh, because you already know those things. It's like, you, you, already, you don't need me. Thank you very much, Rylan. I didn't need to know the problems. I need help. So that's what we want to do. I want to help you fight for an amazing family. And uh, when, the, when the families of Jerusalem were under attack, physical attack, as they were rebuilding uh, the wall, rebuilding Jerusalem, Nehemiah, the leader, stood up and he said this, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, to the officials, And the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Now, they were under physical attack as members of Jerusalem, but I'm telling you, we need this kind of intensity today against the forces that are coming against our families. And Nehemiah was saying, your family is worth fighting for. 
Your family is worth I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. I know it's a fight, but it's worth it. Don't give up. Don't say it's too late. Don't say it can't change. Don't say, well, it's too far gone, and now I'm too old, or they're too old. No. Your family is worth fighting for. And so what I want to share with you uh, today are some essentials for making a family amazing. That whether you're the brother or sister or an in-law or a grandparent or no matter how you're related to the family, these are the things that make a family amazing. And these are the things, as I went to study what the experts had to say about family, these are what I would call the irreducible minimums. This is like what everybody had in common. These are the essentials that any good family teacher is going to talk to you about these things. These are the essentials and having an amazing family. The absolutes. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. The most important, it's authentic faith. As if to say there is an inauthentic faith, and there is. There are a lot of people that have not figured out that there's more to God than Sunday morning, that there's more to God than just a a worship uh, experience, or, or even just reading your Bible every day, that they're There is a dynamic faith relationship available to you that God is inviting you in where the Holy Spirit, you're actually, you're you're reaping the rewards of knowing God, that the Holy Spirit is guiding you and prompting you in the middle of your situations, and that you can have a strength beyond what you find in a worship service. It's something dynamic, it's meaningful, and it can work in every situation. That before you make the phone call, before you discipline, Before you have that that hard conversation or enter into that difficult thing with your family, the Holy Spirit can be working with you. And if there's any one message that flows out of this church, it's that that faith doesn't stop at salvation. That yes, we, we, we have salvation, but that's a starting line of a new Christian faith where you can grow so close to God that you are reaping the benefits of knowing of knowing Him. Proverbs 14, 26 tells us that reverence for the Lord. So if you put Christ as the head of your household, reverence for the Lord gives man deep strength. They are strengthened by it. But look who benefits. His children have a place of refuge and security. Look who benefits for reverence from the Lord. The children. When you put God first, your children benefit. It's the best thing you can do for them. You want to know what the worst thing you can do for your kids is? Put them first. Put them first. It will destroy them, and it will destroy your family. Put God first, and your children reap the benefit. Put your relationship with God above all other relationships and your relationship to other people. God wants you to have peace with him, peace with yourself, and peace with others. And I don't think I can go any further without just sharing this authentic faith of knowing God through Jesus Christ. It is an essential. It is, another, it is number one. But here's number two, just these uh, uh, in irreducible minimums that every family I, I respect and admire said we were very intentional about our schedule, that we would just make time just for being together, time to make meals together, time to play games together. And if you want to know why the families in our society, why relationships between parents and kids are struggling so much, let Cornell University tell you that the average father in the United States spends seven minutes a day with his kids. That's 49 minutes a week. That's less than an hour a week. When I became a a dad 
one of the other fathers in our church told me, um, you're just going to have to get used to being on the floor. Like the next several years, you're on the floor. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he says, your kid's on the floor. So you're going to now get off the couch. You're going to watch TV from the floor. You're going to play on the floor because that's where your kid is. He's about this tall and he wants to be eye to eye with you. And so you need to be on the floor. So I've spent a lot of time on the floor. And I tell you one thing I do a lot more and that is vacuum. I'm vacuuming because this, how did this happen? This is disgusting. But you got to be intentional about getting where your family is. That's where a little kid is. He's on the floor in the living room. Where, where is your family? And you got to break out of your bubble, out of your zone, out of your comfort zone, and be intentional about getting where your family is. And intentionally spend time together. I remember when I got my driver's license as a teenager. And I started driving to church and to work and all these different places. And I discovered that my dad was taking the long way everywhere. And I'm like, everywhere I go, man, I'm making great time. But it's because he would, take the, he would intentionally take the long way. That there was just margin in the schedule that he understood that if you get a teen boy behind a windshield, that's when they talk. It's not awkward. You're just staring at a windshield and just conversation flows out. So he would build in time to spend more time in the car with his kids. And you've got to just be intentional about those certain things that, that redeem those times when you're together with your kids. So, don't make it all so tight that, that everyone's mad at each other in the car because somebody forgot their shoes and somebody forgot this and someone got in and they weren't dressed yet and all those other things, but it happens. <laughs> but you got to be intentional about what you will and will not do. Be intentional about your time. And yes, you're going to have some busy weekends or weeks and seasons of your life because you work hard and you're providing for your family you got to make sure you schedule some time on either side of those um, to, to, for your family to be intentional with your schedule. Psalm 39.6 says, We are merely moving shadows, and all of our busy rushing ends in nothing. We're like ships passing in the night. And nobody, nobody looks back on their life at the end of their life and says, If only I would have played one more sport in high school. If only we would have done one more extracurricular activity. If only we'd gone to more parties. If only we were gone more often. No, everybody looks back and wish they'd spent more time together. Everybody looks back and wishes their parents would have had a, de- a date night so their parents were still together. Everybody looks back and wants more for their family. Ecclesiastes 4.6 says, It's better to have only a little with peace of mind then be busy all the time. It's better with little. And all the much is getting in the way. It's just getting in the way and robbing us of being intentional with our schedules. All right, essential number three. And this one may be the one that surprises you a bit, uh, but it's the one that has served the, the, house, the Walter household the most. It's discovering purpose. Why the most? Well, because you can't discover purpose without an authentic relationship with God. Because you have to go to the source. You've got to go to your creator who knows your purpose. And once you know your purpose in life, then you know how to spend your time. You know it's what to say yes to and what to say no to. And so this may be the, the keystone habit of the other two. That if you'll dive into discovering purpose, why God created mankind, why God created you in the time and place he did you're going to have a more authentic relationship with him 
and you're going to be more intentional about what you do and don't do. And we've got to focus on that in our families, on what, uh, what is unique and what distinguishes them. I am so thankful that my parents didn't think that I needed to be good at everything. They knew I only needed to be good at a few things, at the few things that, that God has gifted me, that he'd given spiritual gifts, he'd given me a heart, he'd given me abilities, the personality experiences. So yeah, yes, try hard in all the subjects, but it's okay to excel in one area. Find that one thing, because all people are different, and they're meant to be different. They're meant to be unique. We're not supposed to be great at all the same things. I mean, you could come up to me and tell me that you're really smart. You're so smart that you've never made a B in your life. And I would tell you, well, we have that in common because I've never made a B in my life either. <laughs> come on, somebody. <laughs> We're different. We have different shapes. Some of us are, are really book smart. Some of us are more mechanically minded. Like we're all, we, we, everyone in here is so different in their gifts and their abilities and the way that they're wired to think. And parents, the anointing on your life, the joy in your life is not to treat all of your kids identically the same, but to find how they're different. How does this one learn? And how does this one learn? And what's this one give? And how am I going to, because how you discipline this kid is going to be different than how you discipline this kid because they respond differently. And the joy and the anointing on your life is to get to know them so intimately, so personally, that you see how God shaped them. Acts 20, 24 says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My life, my life, that's not what means the most to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. How do you help someone finish the task that the Lord has given them? How do you help someone develop in their calling? I want to give you a quick mini message real quick on calling. That how do you help someone develop in their calling and their purpose? Well, there are three types of calling we all have in our life. We have a primary calling. So the primary calling for everybody is the same. It's to know God. Every human being was created to be, and our, the first calling on our life is to be loved by God. You want to know the first purpose of your life? It, to be loved by God. And to love him back, to know him. But we have a secondary calling on our life, and that is what's unique to our time and place. It's growing in God, growing as a disciple in our time and place. And it's going to look different in different times and different places. So for you in Cass County in 2019, growing as a disciple of Lord Jesus Christ is going to look a little bit different than on the other side of the world in a whole different century. So the secondary calling is to grow in God in our time and place, but then we have a third calling, and that's the heart calling. That's the uniqueness. That we see this in our church, that we're all called to know God, to worship God. We're all called to uh, grow as a follower of Jesus Christ, but then we're also to recognize that God has wired us up with different passions different, to meet different needs. And we have people in our church that are more passionate about different things. So we have people in our church that... They're uh, passionate about caring for the sick. Some are more passionate about caring for uh, the poor or the homeless. Some uh, are gifted as teachers. Some are gifted as coaches. Some are more passionate uh, about adoption. Some are passionate about uh, introducing kids to Jesus Christ. Some are passionate about helping people get over their addictions. Some are passionate about those in prisons. And we're to bring all of that together and work it for the same purpose. 
and encourage one another in this thing. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful. Helpful for what? Helpful for building others up. According not to my need, not according to my agenda, but according to their needs. That you are to build others up for what they need. Build others up in their calling. And this is one of the reasons we exist as a church. To help you and to help your family in these callings. And this is why, of course, we have growth track and other things. I want to I consider or have you consider coming to something uh, at the end of March. We're very excited about this. We're going to host a, a conference called How God Meets Your Deepest Needs. Because there is nothing better for your family and your life than be, to be connected to a spiritual family and a local church. And the church, it, it's because it's not a building. It's not an organization. It's not an institution. It's people. People like you and me. People united because of what God wants to do in us, what he wants to do through us. And so at this conference, we're going to learn what it means to be part of a healthy uh, church family that is a community influencer, that is a world influencer. And I'm excited about this because this isn't going to be theories. This isn't going to be ideas. We're going to be pulling back the curtain on what God is doing among us. And we're going to answer the question, how does it meet our deepest needs, and how can we better make a difference in our community and in our world? So we'd love for you, we'd love for your family uh, to come to this. It's $10 per person or just $20 per family. Uh, this really is designed for uh, adults and then students, 7th uh, seventh, seventh grade, uh, high, on to high school and college. Um, but we would love to uh, have you come for that, so uh, mark that down. But all of this under the umbrella of I'm going to help the people around me discover their purpose. Not just going to focus on my own, but I'm going to develop these callings in my family's life. All right, number four. And this one, you you may star this one. Because you got to have right relationships to have an amazing family. As if to say there are wrong relationships. And there are. And I've been working with families for a while now. And let me tell you what I absolutely know. You are the sum total of your relationships. Like, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Our relationships matter far more than we think. For good or for bad, you are the product of your friendships and your relationships. So look at who your kids hang out with. That's who they'll become. Look at the the marriages, the the couples that you are friends with. That's what your marriage is going to look like. Look at your friends. They are a mirror. And this is, of course, why we love small groups. Because one of the best decisions you'll ever make in your life are your relationship decisions. And a lot of people, they're they're asking the wrong question. Because the the young people in our church, they'll even ask me, Ryland, how do I know what I'm supposed to do and how do I know where I'm supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? And I've started telling them that you're asking the wrong question. The question is not where. The question is not what. The question is who. Who is going to be your community? Who are, you going, who are going to be your friends? And who are you going to touch with your life? Who, is your li- who in your life are you going to make a difference? That's the question. Who? If you get that right, all the other stuff will fall into place. 
Stop asking what and where and start asking who. Start asking who. Proverbs 27, 19 says, A mirror reflects a man's face, but what he is really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools goes to jail. You know I'm right. (laughs) Who you hang out with matters. As a dad, it matters. I've just decided I'm not going to hang around other dads that complain about their wife and their kids. It's a disease I don't want to be infected by. And you've got to think about who am I, who are my close relationships. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be yoked, don't be joined together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? It's saying just don't, don't let those, those really close friends, those, those intimate friendships, those dating relationships, don't let your spouse, don't follow unbelievers. And this is great advice. And God is giving this advice because he doesn't want you to suffer harm. He wants good for you. He wants the best for you. All right, here's the last one. You can't have an amazing family without number five, amazing grace. God's grace on families is so extravagant. If you don't believe me, just open up your Bible and read about the families in the Bible. Crazy! I mean, you got brothers selling each other into slavery and Abraham passing off his wife as his sister to Pharaoh and you got backstabbing and murders in the family and adultery and all these different things. So if you want to feel better about your family, read the Bible. <laughs> Mary and Joseph lose Jesus for three days. <laughs> the first day they didn't even know. What is going on? God's grace on your family is extravagant. And here's what's amazing about about grace. Why is it amazing? Because it makes no sense. I mean, who treats you better than God? He takes all my sin, everything I've done, everything I'm going to do, and forgives me. Who treats you like that? And relationships need the same grace. There is not a single relationship. There's not a single person on earth you won't need grace for to continue in a relationship with them. So what do I do? You've got to just start by recognizing that. That this relationship is going to take grace. It's going to require grace from me. Your kids are going to mess up. And you can't roll a standard out there that says they don't mess up because they're going to mess up. They're going to blow it. I've blown it. I've blown it royally. And that's the time I need grace from my family the most. That's when I need my family the most. That's not, when, that's not when you say, get out of here. You no longer have a place here. No, that's when they need grace the most. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. How? Just as. The power is in the just as. In Christ, God forgave you. That when you go back to the cross, you discover there's power in the cross. And that because the grave is empty, the cross is very powerful. And it gives us the power to not only have grace over our own life, our own mistakes, our own sins. But it gives us the power to have grace for others. And God's grace is flowing through you. From God, through you, to other people. 
There's a powerful example of this in Scripture. And uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's this poem that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. It's this poem that says there's a time and season for everything. There's a time, uh, there's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, time to uproot. You know, there's a time to tear down, there's a time to build, time to weep, a time to laugh. And they all make sense until you get to the, the fifth verse where it says there's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. What does that mean? Well, it comes from an Old Testament observance that needs to take place in our hearts today comes from Genesis 31, where Jacob uh, has an issue with his father-in-law, his father-in-law, his father-in-law Laban. And he's got an issue, rightfully so, because Laban was not a good father-in-law to Jacob. He was, uh, he was so mean to Jacob, made him work 20 years for his daughters, changed his wages, never kept his promises. He was ruthless with Jacob. And Jacob, he tried his best. Even at one point, he said, I'll take all the weak, uh, the weak half of the flocks, and Laban, you take the strong half. But God saw that and, and blessed Jacob even more, and it made Laban just even more angry. So Jacob just couldn't take it anymore, and he takes his wife and his flocks and his herds and everything, and he flees. But Laban finds out about it and goes after him, chases him across the desert, catches up with him, and it's the night before they're supposed to meet. And the night before they were to meet, an angel of the Lord speaks to Laban and says, do not do what you have planned. And that's a word for somebody this weekend. Because you have something planned. Something planned that's going to harm your family. Something planned to harm yourself, which would hurt your family. Something planned. And and I pray that that statement is like a word from God to you that do not do what you have planned. For the young person who says, I just can't take my parents anymore. I can't stand them anymore. Do not do what you have planned. For the husband or wife that says... uh, It's too hard to try and reconcile this marriage. Do not do what you have planned. Instead, the angel said to Laban, go and reconcile. And the next day, Jacob is bracing for a fight, but Laban shows up. And Laban says these words that now can become our words today. By the grace of God, Laban's words could be our words today. He says, come now, let's make a covenant. You and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. So Jacob took a stone and he set it up as a pillar and he said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took the stones and piled them in a heap and they ate there by the heap. That there's a time to scatter stones, there's a time to gather stones. This was the tradition where you had a few different options with the stone. You could leave it scattered, you could pick it up and throw it at somebody and stone somebody. Or you could pile it into a heap and make a promise before the Lord. And what they did is took every offense, every stone representing an offense. Remember when you said this? And remember when you did this? 
and remember when I did this and remember when I lied again and remember when the trust was torn down between us and remember all those things that happened and they set it up and they pile it up and they leave it there and they seal it with a meal and they gathered stones instead of scattering them, instead of throwing them. Look up here, you have a choice today. You can continue to scatter your offenses all over the place You can continue to hold them against one another and throw them at one another. Or you can pile them up and leave it there. And Laban, with all his sins and all these problems, sets an example for us today. That it's never too late. And your family is worth fighting for. What does this look like for us today? What does it look like to gather the stones? Well, it looks like this for us today. It starts with you don't point fingers. You start by acknowledging your own mistakes. Because everybody's got a role. No, I don't. Well, then you don't agree with this verse. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you guys say, I'm not going to focus on your role. I'm going to focus on what? The only thing I can control, and I can't control you and I can't control how you respond, but I'm going to bring my brokenness and you're going to say to your kids, you know what, dad really let you down here. Mom really let you down here. And yes, there are things you wish they'd done differently. Yes, there are things they should have done differently, but you're going to acknowledge your own mistakes. You're going to lead the way. Matthew 7, 3 through 5 says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. But watch this. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And if you don't acknowledge your own mistakes first, you are not seeing clearly. And before you're even going to help somebody else, you've got to be able to see clearly and you've got to be able to take the thing out of your own eye and focus on yours. Then you will see clearly to help them. Here's the second step. That is to abandon my right to get even. Because the tendency is going to be, well, I'll gather some stones, but I'm going to sue them too. I'll I'll, I'll gather some stones and I'll forgive, but let's just make sure everybody knows who's right. Let's make sure everybody knows what was really said and what really happened. And you've got to abandon that right. We, for, we have forgotten that the message of Christianity, that this is what Jesus' followers do with nails in our hands and blood pouring from our face, we say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Is it radical? Yes, absolutely. It's radical. But the other way isn't working too well, is it? And that's the message of the Jesus follower. Romans 12, 19 says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. God will take care of it. This verse suggests that when you take revenge... You've actually taken away the opportunity. There's no room left for God to do it. And hello, God's going to do it better than you would anyway. Do not take revenge. Leave room for God. 
It's his to take care of. And you've got to abandon the right to get even. And number three, apply God's grace to my relationships. And you probably have applied God's grace to your life. And you've probably received God's grace. But have you applied it to the relationships in your life? Have you let God's grace flow through you to other people? 1 John 4, 8 through 11 says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love our wife. We ought to love our husband. We ought to love our cousin. We ought to love our brother, our sister, our mother-in-law, our father-in-law, our parents. And we ought to love one another. Let's pray. God, you've made the choice before us very clear today. There's an opportunity to scatter stones. There's an opportunity to throw them or to gather them. And I pray for the courage to say enough is enough. And today... God, we apply the grace of God to our kids, to our parents, to our marriage, to our brother, to our in-laws. I pray that you would bring healing to hearts right here, right now. God, we recognize that we can't give grace if we haven't received it. That we can't even do what we're saying if we don't receive the love of God. So we came in here today with the weight of sin on our shoulders. With just this death grip of control on our life. And God, we we want the weight off. We want to release the control. God, we thank you for being a father to us for inviting us to come home, for reminding us it's never too late. And we're asking you to tear down the walls that we've built up in our relationships, to tear down the walls that we've built up between us and you. We're asking you to renew us, to help us love like you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.